Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today on what is the first day of the offseason, not for 12 teams in and around the game of baseball, but for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, joining me as, uh, as he does frequently, Kenneth Weber of Purple Row. What's up, Kenneth? Patrick, what's up, man? We made it. It was a grueling 162 games, but we made it. I know. There's... 176 days, I think, until opening day of next year. 184, I want to say, until the Rockies have a home opener. Uh, I've, I'm already jonesing for, for baseball. I wasn't at the ballpark all last week. I was sick, so sick like a dog. So I, I am I'm even more jonesing, I think, maybe more than normal. But we're going to have some, some postseason baseball and uh, we'll break down this 2023 season. Let's just jump into some of the stories from from the weekend that that wrapped up that I thought were were kind of interesting. Those retirement tales, if you will. Adam Wainwright, he did end up getting that final at bat. Had a ceremony. Yadier Molina, Albert mm-hmm. Pujols joined him there. That was nice to see St. Louis turn out for him. Yeah, I mean. That it really feels like they should have gone out all at the same time. You know, there there is that that missed opportunity a little bit with Wainwright. Um, but the the fact that he is so well embraced by the fan base and the organization, I mean, they did a good job reflecting it. He got a freaking puppy and a guitar too. Like he got a pretty good gift package on the way out. So uh, it was kind of cool on the last day of the season, though, seeing a lot. Um, I don't feel like we get quite this many send offs at the same time that we did this year. You're right. Yeah. There, there definitely seemed like there, there was a, a decent amount. I think, yeah, maybe it's just something that, that people do enjoy uh, mm-hmm. and that teams are maybe em- embracing a, a little bit more because not all the players are kind of hall of fame caliber guys. And, and we'll, we've got five, six years to discuss uh, Adam Wainwright. If he, uh, if he should be a first battle hall of famer with his 200 wins, but you're right. I think that's the, that might be a new trend and uh, I'm, I'm definitely here for that. Uh, it's, it's 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 a bit of a luck of the draw because you have to have long tenured guys. They have to be with an organization. You can't have you know the guy on his fifteenth organization getting his send off in his first year with Tampa Bay or something. Um, but I think a very underrated one, and you talk about the Hall of Fame discussion, is Zach Greinke going back to Kansas City. Will he be you know a Hall of Famer? Will he be uh, you know pitching next year? Nobody knows what goes on with Zach Greinke ever. But it's kind of a cool full circle with him a little bit. Um, with Kansas City and coming back to them and, and giving something nice for that fan base for the end of the season when they might not have otherwise had it. So, um, again, I think there's just a lot of tenured guys all kind of at the same time, seeming like it might be over. And it's just it's a bit of a freak occurrence that was cool to witness. I did enjoy watching Granky get the high fives. He definitely had a look on his face. I don't know that I've ever seen. Like he just had pure joy yeah. on his face. And I, I think he still has about maybe five more years. He he may be coming to Colorado. Give him, give him five years. He's coming. What, what was the stat? He's twenty-one strikeouts away from twenty-five hundred in his career, something like that. Like there is a, a milestone that he could shoot for that is obtainable. So I don't know, man. If he wants to give a Jamie Moyer month out there next season to to kick off the year, you know the Rockies may need it. Brandon Crawford, a guy that is not a Hall of Famer, Hall of Very Good, but still get choked up a little bit seeing him uh, get the applause coming off the field. I was you know, kind of a little disappointed. We didn't see Buster Posey come out to the mound, maybe to make that substitution or Madison Bumgarner. I know, Bum- I know both of those guys really aren't doing much right now. So right. Uh, that would have been kind of a cool moment. I, I like to, 
to see that for Crawford. He, uh, I don't know if he's officially announced that he's going to be retiring or not. I, I haven't heard anything, but I could see him, you know, kind of calling it quits after this year. I think the official announcement was like the Giants said that they're not going to re-sign him kind of thing. And so a lot of people were left with, uh, it might be the end of his career, definitely the end of the Giants was like kind of the send-off that some people had. Uh, it, it would feel wrong to see Crawford elsewhere. And honestly, his numbers in the past two years really, or at least this year for sure, haven't really supported uh, you know, him being brought on by another org uh, in like a starting role. So uh, it's a very, very good career, and it's a staple at an important position for a lot of championship teams and contending San Francisco teams. And it's just one of those era guys. Um, so, you know, as much as Rockies fans might have hated seeing Brandon Crawford because he always just came to Coors and just torched uh, the Rockies, uh, it's a it's a pretty notable career. And you say Madison Bumgarner is probably not doing anything. Mason Saunders might be, though. So we just don't know logistically what the scheduling was like for that one. Very fair. Very fair. The schedule makers liked having Detroit in Detroit. You know, mm-hmm. It is a final game there. His children announced him over the PA system. Uh, he did a nice thing where he said, oh, hey, I, I, I forgot my first baseman's mitt. Okay. Spencer Torkelson gives it to him. You know, he basically just kidnaps it, signs it, autographs all over it for uh, Spencer Torkelson. So uh, I thought that was a nice touch from Miguel. You know, a guy, just another one who big smiles uh, all over his face. Yeah, I mean, this is this has kind of been a, uh, the full tour for Cabrera and Wainwright, especially those two have gotten the most attention. And, you know, we talk about uh, the career accomplishments of everybody in this discussion. Miggy is, you know, that inner circle Hall of Famer, though. So um, it the, the whole tradition of this is designed for guys like Miguel Cabrera. So you soak it up when it comes around. He, I believe, is now the last player to be able to say you played against the Montreal Expos. I did see that somewhere along the way. That uh, sounds right. Yeah, that's true. Will, hey, Rockies need to build around Nolan Jones. Absolutely. We will be getting into that here in, uh, in segment two. What, what was positives? What were the negatives of this season? Where can they go forward? I don't know that we're going to solve all of those problems here uh, in, in 45 minutes to an hour, but um, keep the questions and comments coming. Live here in the chat on YouTube. Joey Votto, another one of those players that had his final game. Very unceremonious. Uh, it wasn't St. Louis. So, okay, it wasn't at home. It wasn't the way you'd want to write it. Also, he got ejected from the game. <laughs> that one in and of itself, I think, he's got to come back. He's coming back. I, I don't know. Maybe if he had just gone out there, tipped his cap, that would have been it. Now I feel like he may have something to prove or just something to maybe – uh, recreate and, and retell the story, a redo, a do-over, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I, I the second chance uh, with Votto, I don't know. It, it was kind of funny watching that play out because you understood the ejection, and then you saw the way that he was uh, interacting with the umpires, the dialogue that he was having, and there was almost like, a, oh, this hit me, this is the final game, uh, you know, so... It was a little elongated on the, the the conversation and him staying on the field, not in a heated, overly, you know, uh, blow up manner, but kind of a, Oh, I kind of have to be out here right now and, and make the most of this. I think with the position that the reds are in right now, what Votto still provides and, um, just the general leadership, the same way that the Charlie Blackman extent, you know, that factored into the Blackman extension. I think Votto coming back feels like a pretty safe bet. There's feels like there's still some gas left in that tank, goodwill in the organization and, you know, and a team that could use the leadership, um, whether or not it happens, you know, we're, we're going to wait and see. But it kind of feels like one 
um, that makes a lot of sense. And then you just realize that he didn't have the proper send-off. He got kicked out of the game, and that can't be the end of the legacy. So that's a little bit of icing on the cake. You can't eject me. This is my farewell game. <laughs> <laughs> but but farewell. Uh, exactly yeah. right there. Loving the comments. Yeah, I, I think that's a great comparison. You know, the, the Rockies, you know, of course, had Chris Bryant. Um, you know, you could throw Elias Diaz in that conversation. Uh, Daniel Bard in, in, in the bullpen, Tyler Kinley, some of more, some of those more veteran players. Uh, but the Reds, I mean, I, I can't think of a, of a single veteran guy that uh, is going to be around that long. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's even more vital for Votto to be back uh, in, in, in that capacity. Buck Showalter will not be back. Gets a kind of no thanks uh, on, on his way out. That seemed like that uh, might have been some kind of miscommunication going on there. David Stern's now in charge, coming over from Milwaukee. Starting to hear the the rumors and rumblings already, like yeah, Craig Council is going to be the next manager of this team, especially because he's a free agent at the end of the season. Yeah, I'm worried about Milwaukee uh, just overall because I mean these two are obviously tied in. One book, Showalter in New York just don't seem to get along very well, uh, at least at least or at least on the way that you know he leaves um, those positions and. It makes a lot of sense with the Mets because with the Verlander and the Scherzer trades, there's a whole lot of blowing up that feels like might be happening with um, with Cohen um, and the Mets. Uh, with Stearns, you also come in and you know give him the option to put together the team that he wants to. Uh, that raises a lot of questions about Pete Alonso maybe being the biggest chip that they can turn around and flip. But now with Milwaukee losing Stearns and you know Council may follow him over there. You also have some bad will that you built up with Corbin Burns in the last arbitration hearing, and you already kind of got rid of Hader. Uh, you know, there's not there's there's a very definitive window that Milwaukee is in, and I'm starting to feel like you can start seeing when it's going to close here soon too. Um, so Stearns and, and Council leaving, uh, Council possibly leaving. You know, it's it's an interesting development that's going on with Milwaukee past this season. Sure is. Uh, we saw uh, also got news kind of quickly. I almost want to say like Friday, we got news that uh, Tim Wakefield had brain cancer and then almost immediately uh, he did pass away. So uh, that was a, a real sad one for the, the entire baseball community. Saw some interviews with, you know, Jason Veritek, where it was just very raw and very like, hey, this thing just happened. Uh, what are your thoughts on a guy who's just just so young? We we think of people living a long life into their 70s and, and now really 80s. And so uh, that's that's sad that uh, the knuckleballer is uh, is no longer with us. Yeah, it's absolutely tragic. And I think it's something that really resonated throughout the league just because it was so raw and so fresh, as as you alluded to with Veritex comment. Uh, but this is also somebody that was very well beloved, um, you know, not only. Um, as just a baseball player, but within the community of Boston, you know, say what you will about Boston sports and what it means to you as a fan. I don't feel like anybody really hated Tim Wakefield, you know? Um, and there's also just kind of a, a fun niche career of being a knuckleballer. Um, that's, you know, a very exclusive club, but an amazing career from all indications, an amazing person and just really, really sad uh, when somebody that young, you know, has that, um, you know, that, you know, devastating of an occurrence. Yeah. did win two world series with Boston, 19 seasons in the majors, 200 wins. I mean, gosh, we just, uh, just got done celebrating Adam Wainwright talking about, all right, well, 200 wins is kind of now the new 300, uh, just mm -hmm. with the way we are, are handed out. 
And you have a guy like Tim Wakefield who in, in 2011, when his career came to a close, exactly 200 wins, 441 ERA, but even still, uh, just a testament for, for sticking around, being a part of a lot of really good teams. And, um, and, and is somebody that, that deserves to, to be in the conversation a lot more when we talk about, you know, the, the hall of very goods, because those players, I think, uh, often, you know, don't, don't get the, the discussion. I think that, uh, that they should, should have, um, I, I do want to add one thing about, about Joey Votto, you know, uh, reds, unfortunately do come up short, um, lost a hundred games last year and, and, and nearly snuck into the postseason. I know a lot of Rockies fans are looking at what the reds were able to do this year and say, Hey, Maybe the Rockies can do that too. bring up a bunch of these young guys. Maybe you can catch uh, lightning in a bottle in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, Joey Votto's October is not over. He will be performing in October as he's going to voice the French narrator. He speaks French. He's Canadian in the SpongeBob musical youth edition at the Children's Theater of Cincinnati in October. So Joey Votto, he's, he's got something going on this month. I love it. I mean, I, I got no notes. If you can get your starting first baseman to go out and speak a different language in a SpongeBob movie, you do it. And so it's it's an amazing uh, Joey Votto was just an amazing person off the field. And it's always so fun whenever he's involved in something quirky like that. Um, one other thing that I do want to share, it was very cool. It's very besides the point on uh, in honor of Tim Wakefield, George Kirby threw a knuckleball in his final start uh, against the Rangers. And it was absolutely filthy. It was like a 74 mile an hour knuckleball on Corey Seager that he missed by like, you know, almost a foot. It was absolutely disgusting. So that was impressive to see him pull that, you know, out of his bag, out of nowhere, um, just in honor of Wakefield. He did turn around and say that on uh, Pitching Ninja, I think it was on Twitter. So kind of cool thing to see. I saw the knuckleball. Didn't know that it was for uh, for Tim Wakefield. Love that. Mm -hmm. I, I love that story. Yeah, I think Rockies fans might be saying, "Ah, I mean, we missed our opportunity with Justin Morneau getting him." I'm sure he probably speaks a little bit of French there. Maybe yes. not. I don't think everyone from Canada speaks French, um, but also a lot of people outside of the U.S. do speak multiple languages. It's just mm -hmm. kind of not our bag. But look, you don't have to miss out when it comes to Breckenridge Distillery, the official bourbon of the the Denver Broncos, the one win Denver Broncos, not the yeah. lost list. The one win, Denver Broncos. Look, uh, Breckenridge Distillery, widely known for their blended whiskey, a high rye mash, American-style whiskey. Right now, all you got to do, uh, win, you're going to win two tickets to the Breckenridge Bourbon Whiskey Suite for the Broncos and Chargers game at the end of the year, December 31st. All you got to do is post your favorite Broncos photo to Instagram or Facebook and use hashtag Broncos Bourbon by the end of November because on December 1st, they're going to narrow it down to 10 candidates Fan vote goes on for a week. All you got to do, enter at BreckenridgeDistillery.com slash Bourbon of the Broncos. They're at all of our tailgates. We got one coming up next weekend. DNVR bar watch parties. They're there. You can get their products in all 50 states. Shop your local retailer or visit BreckenridgeDistillery.com for home delivery of award-winning Breckenridge spirits at Prey Anywhere and at Bet365, they don't do ordinary. We don't, we don't do ordinary either here uh, at DNVR, of course. Uh, they believe your bets should be epic. Every sport should be epic, epic. So just see for yourself. When you sign up today, because you'll get $100, $300, It's $300, Bet365. $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. And right now, they've got the DNVR custom bet. That's right. We've got our very own custom bets. For example, will the Broncos claim three divisional wins this season? 
There's a reason why that line is right there. Have some fun with it. Folks over at the Broncos beat still think so. Ride with DNBR. Place your bets. It's great. They've got the uh, baseball early payout offer all throughout the playoffs as well. They've pioneered live in-game betting. It's wonderful. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado. Please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. That's BET365, code DNVR365 when you sign up. Postseason is all set here. Four games over the course of the next three days. What a bonanza. I, I kind of remember it last year being like, whoa, this is so much and loving it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I kind of wish we had more than just three days. And I'm sure at some point in the near future, MLB will make sure that, you know, we can have four games, four playoff games every day for, you know, close to a week, whatever it may be. Are there any matchups? So we've got Texas at Tampa Bay. The, uh, the higher seeded team will be home for all three games of the series. It's the best of three. Uh, any of these series jump out at you as saying, hey, I think I like to go one way over the other. Texas at Tampa is going to be the early game uh, on these days. Toronto at Minnesota, Arizona at Milwaukee, and Miami at Philadelphia. Uh, you know, it's so hard to bet against Tampa Bay. Um, is the hard part. They could be matching up against anybody and Texas is no slouch, but it's, it's hard to pick against Tampa Bay. I feel like the one that would feel like the best bet is Philadelphia over Miami. Um, you know, it's it, there's, there's enough even draws between it. I don't trust Toronto enough. And I think I, you know, who knows what Arizona can do. Milwaukee, you think should be able to take that series pretty easily, but uh, you know, Arizona has has played good baseball all year long. So I guess Philadelphia is the one I have the most confidence in, in terms of just the pure matchup. Well, I think Tampa Bay is the easily the best team, um, you know, in of any of them in these uh, upcoming days. Yeah, you got to think Tampa is is that lock in Texas, although they were able to, you know, work their way in and, and, and push into the postseason. You know, they, they were so good the first half of the year and then really seem to have uh, fallen off. And uh, they've had so many injuries to the pitching staff. So mm-hmm. other than Jordan Montgomery, you know, I don't know where they're going to get their starts from. Uh, uh, I think Arizona, look, if, if, I mean, even if they lose game one with Brandon fought on the Hill, you still got Merrill Kelly, you still got Zach Allen on the Hill and, and yep. you kind of, you kind of like that, but, uh, but Milwaukee has been there before. What this is their fifth time in six seasons. Uh, making the postseason, so uh, they are they are they're pretty talented. It's going to be fun. It's exciting, and then, of course, we'll uh, we'll inject the 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 two orange clubs from the American League: Houston, Baltimore, and then L.A. and Atlanta. We've we've got a month left to go of the season. This is still great. This is still fun. Uh man, as a baseball fan, I am just so on board with the Orioles doing the thing this year. Uh, it's it's real hard not to uh, really be into the Orioles going from that perennial hundred loss team to a hundred win team this season, um, and and seeing just how far they can go. Um, and then it's 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 hard for me to say with you know just how much baseball I consume. I genuinely am going to be surprised if Atlanta does not win the World Series this year. Like that's just how highly I think of them. And so anything can happen and we got a ton of baseball left to play. You know, there's a very good chance that Atlanta doesn't do the thing, but they just feel they felt that good all year long. And that's that's the maybe the highest compliment I can give a, a team during a season. Yeah, Baltimore's a good jumping off spot to to get into the Rockies and uh, Mac Entertainment, Nathan May, afternoon uh, to y'all there in the chat over on YouTube. Uh, go ahead and leave a leave us a comment uh, wherever you listen to this as a podcast. Rate us. We love those kind of things. Appreciate the feedback. 
Look, Orioles, they uh, were one of, what, three teams this year to lose 100 games in 2021, and then two years later turn around and make the postseason. I think the Orioles are probably the worst example for the Rockies to say, hey, if the Orioles did it, the Rockies can do it. Because as we know, losing 100 games in a single season isn't necessarily an indicator that you're going to immediately turn something around because the Orioles lost 100 games in 2019 and were really bad for three more years. It was mm-hmm. also part of their plan. They were tanking. They got Michael Elias from the Houston Astros, who had just experienced that you know, a decade prior uh, with, the, with the Strohs. So you, you've got a guy who has a plan in place and an organization that has a plan in place and uh, we're able to figure it out. Texas maybe a little bit more so, right? They were able to actually go out and uh, overspend perhaps, but also uh, have a certain influx of, of young players uh, to figure it out and get there. And uh, and then who's the, the third team? Is it the Marlins? Uh, you could say Marlins. You could say Arizona. Arizona, was- oh, Arizona lost 100 games. Mm-hmm. Arizona lost 100 games. Uh, and they were also, uh, they were tanking, but uh, they they were really bad for, for a few years there in a row, but with a plan to try to, try to bring it back up. And, and I think that's, that's the hope is that, okay, the Rockies have now hit bottom. Do they immediately start swimming up or are they going to be down there for another year or so? And, and will it be another hundred loss season? I don't think it's out of the question. Oh, not at all. And I think uh, there are some genuine questions on that starting rotation uh, heading into next season. That has been a gigantic problem this season. So, uh, you know, I, I in the column I wrote today, if the Rockies don't lose Marquez and Sensatella, do they avoid 100 losses this year? Is that enough for them to maybe, you know, make four games difference? Maybe, maybe not, you know. Uh, but that's the reality of what you're facing next year, too, is you're still having a depleted rotation. You're still having young guys um, throughout the field. It's not going to be an overly competitive roster unless they start injecting some more quality major league pitching talent at the baseline. And then also just hoping that some of the young guys uh, come up and have an impact like a Tovar and like, um, like a Nolan Jones did this year. So um, they got a ways to go. You know, I think uh, a recent article came out that, you know, they expect to compete in 2024. That's way too big of an ask. And maybe 25 can be 24 probably looks more like 23. Um, than it does, you know, those uh, 17 and 18 years, if that's what they have in mind. Yeah, I, th- I think with Marquez and Sinzatella, maybe, maybe you, you do avoid like uh, the the difference in, in those guys' performances than who you were running out as like your number four or five starter, the Chris Flexen, the Chase Anderson, uh, mm-hmm. the, the bullpen day. I think that probably does get you four wins. The question that I, I, I don't think it would have changed the algorithm at all, but if they are healthy for the course of the season, would the Rockies have bothered to trade away five veteran players or would they have somehow, you know, depending on what the record was at the, at the deadline in the summer, would they have tried to convince themselves of like, well, Hey, maybe with a good final two months of the season, you know, we can at least be around eight, uh, 500 win win 80 games, 81 games, maybe save some face in a strange way because of everything falling apart because of these injuries, which you don't wish upon anyone. But in a strange way, I think maybe it did force the Rockies' hands to say, all right, we're going to wave the white flag. We need to do the thing that the other 29 teams all do, which is trade away expiring contracts to bring in some depth pieces in the minors, which the Rockies hadn't done for the previous two trade deadlines. So they needed that depth uh, in a real major way. I, I think I think that would be a curious question to know if, if they'd be 
you know, in this basically same spot, 99 losses versus 103. Sure, let's just trade those veteran guys away. Or would they have somehow, you know, duped themselves into to thinking that we should hold on to these guys? It's a fair question. It's a depressing question, but it's a fair question. <laughs> um, no, you're fine. I think with the way that the season started, though, too, even with Marquez and Sensatella being in the fold, you know, I understand Sensatella was still on his way back at the time, uh, but it was a pretty atrocious start to the season this year too. So they kind of already saw some writing on the wall and I believe enough that there was the plan of a pro far of a hand understanding crone, you know, was in the final year of his deal that there was always the thought of selling off these one year guys, um, assuming they're far enough out and, you know, Hey, if they don't go down in May, Sure, maybe those three or four wins happen during that time frame and the Rockies feel a little bit better about themselves, but they're still far enough out of the playoff picture that they probably wave the white flag. That's my gut feeling about it. Uh, you know, with a couple of these guys, we're just a lot of placeholders. Um, and that's the way they were always viewed. But, you know, as Rockies fans, we've been uh, trained to believe that, yeah, the worst case scenario actually could have happened. They could have believed that CJ Crone and, uh, you know, Profar and Hand would have made the difference um, in Moustakas or whatever. So fair question. Uh, personally, I believe they were planning on, you know, moving on from a couple of guys along the way, though. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going back to the start of the day on July 1st and go, all right, let's go ahead and give the Rockies four wins. How does that change the picture starting July 1st and go, all right, can they dupe themselves? And I'm seeing here the Rockies last in the national league and going, Oh, that's, it was just all season long. And so we go from 33 and 51 to 37 and uh, 30, 37 and and 47. Um, And they're still, they're still a ways back. Yeah. uh, What nine and a half out of the wild card, maybe. I don't know, but still it's yeah. Brutal. Again, it just comes back to how miserable that start of the season was. I think, you know, I think that there was always that idea in mind that, Hey, and that's the plan is, Hey, maybe we'll get lucky. That's the playoff plan most of the time, but um, they were always so far out of it that I think, yeah, a Grichik, a Crone, a hand, you know, they were always going to be moving on from those guys. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's uh Tough year. Uh, we'll we'll get to the positives uh, first. Let's let's start there. Actually, let's start with with Kind Love, the official partner of DNVR. A great way to support a local brand that supports us. We love the Kind Love cannabis. It's always uh, a place where you can get consistent, great experience when you're getting high on Kind Love. Of course, quality, integrity, consistency, variety, and safety. It's what they're all about. Visit any of their stores down in Cherry Creek or North Denver. You mentioned DNVR. DNVR exclusive discount of 25% off all kind of flower pre-rolls. Your turbo joint lines are great. You could throw it right in a joint. Uh, cigarette either too. Do what you got to do there. Uh, with that, it's fantastic. Real good little technology they've got. Visit the website at kindlove.com for their full extensive menu and online ordering. And get this, code DNVR now works for deliveries too. On top of all that old stuff. Fubo TV, sit back and back. This fall, visit uh, rather visit, visit, visit. I'll describe my experience over the year. It's amazing. 40 plus live channels of sports, shows, movies, news. Uh, it's been great. That's how I watched the World Baseball Classic earlier this year. 
I was watching using Fubo TV to, to watch the Nuggets championship. I plan on doing a lot of postseason watching on Fubo TV. It's great because you can watch your local teams while you travel. We're talking thousands of hours of cloud DVR included at no extra charge. They got college football. So, yeah, University of Colorado. Goes NFL Network, Red Zones, UEFA qualifiers, you name it. Watch all your college football and NFL with Fubo. Go to www.fubotv.com slash DNVR to sign up for 15% off your first month of Fubo Pro. The positives start, well, they don't end, but in a way they do because you talk, you should talk about them first and you should talk about them last. Nolan Jones. Uh, I guess it was just announced. I can't find it anywhere else, but I think it was announced on MLB Network. Nolan Jones, the National League Player of the Week. Justin uh, Verlander uh, got the uh, got the win there in the, the American League. So that does mean the Rockies do bookend the season with Player of the Week award winner. CJ Crone did it with his uh, three home runs in San Diego, right? The, uh, the two on opening day to match Trevor Story. And now we've got Nolan Jones here uh, making that last final push in the National League Rookie of the Year award voting. Nolan Jones, wow. Seriously, that is the word to use for it. it, It's so fun. It's so poetic to get 2020 heading in, or, you know, the last game of the season, getting one home run and one stolen base to do it. Um, He also did it, I think it was in something like 405 plate appearances, something like that, like the, the, the least amount of plate appearances ever in a 2020 season. And to boot, what was it, 18 outfield assists, just showing off an absolute laser. One more. He got one 19. on Sunday. So he had the yeah. homer stolen base and the outfield assist. The yeah. Three true outcomes of Nolan Jones. He he was incredible. I mean, he easily turned into the Rockies' best player very quickly, and he just kind of never stopped. Uh, he was light years ahead of everybody else in terms of you know WRC plus and just statistically and with the eye test being the most lethal hitter in that lineup really ever since he was given the opportunity to be in there every single day. And so, you know, it's, you look for the silver linings in 103 loss season and Nolan Jones coming out and being an absolute monster is definitely the biggest takeaway from this season. You feel real good about what the Rockies have in that corner outfield position uh, with what Jones showed this year. Yeah. The Rockies probably figured on average coming out of the season, you go, all right, got the first full season from Ezekiel Tovar. Great. That's fantastic. Numbers encouraging. Very encouraging. Numbers look a lot like the numbers that Nolan Arenado put up in his rookie season when he was 22. Tovar here, uh, this is his age 21 season. You get some contributions from some some other guys, uh, young dudes. You you get Sean Bouchard back late, and you go, hey, all right, he still has something now that he's healthy. Uh, that's been positive. Brenton Doyle, uh, we can get into those guys a little bit more, and you go, all right, we, we, we saw some things that's really positive. If you just got that, again, that's what you get, and, and you feel a little bit better about some things, and uh, and you can maybe you know trick yourself into into thinking that there there's a lot here going forward. Throw in Nolan Jones on top of that, and you and it, it almost just changes everything. His emergence as truly a, an elite player is is great, uh, as Will points out in the chat. Only rookie to ever have 19 or more home runs. 19 or more doubles, 19 steals, and 19 outfield assists in a single season. Nolan Jones, history of baseball. Nolan Jones, we just saw that. Nolan Jones, wow. That's, that's crazy. I mean, to, to have the first ever, uh, and that's that's a great point out, Will, but, I mean, it just shows just how special he was throughout the entire season. And 
it's it's a little bit of house money kind of feeling, you know, because this was supposed to be like the Zach Veen spot this year. It was supposed to be Veen who shows up and becomes that next middle of the order or, you know, impact rookie um, to join alongside Tovar. And so Veen is a whole other discussion, but it still occurred with Nolan Jones. And, you know, just as a trade for a whole, this is why the Rockies need to be more active on the market. This is somebody that they came out and acquired for another guy who had a really good year in Juan Brito. Um, he was the Cleveland um, minor leaguer of the year with Baseball America. But the Rockies went out and kind of took a chance in acquiring a guy from outside the organization. And then that guy shows up and he absolutely explodes and becomes their best player. So, Again, this is why everybody's been pounding the tables for so long for the Rockies to be a little bit more active in their transactions. For sure. And I think there are so many guys, we, we hear it all the time with, with big leaguers, but I think it's true for minor leaguers too. You just need to change the scenery. You know, Nolan Jones, again, minor league guy for, for a while. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why Cleveland was ready to move on. I'm like, ah, this, this prospect's getting old school and yeah, he's 24 he's gonna be 25 in uh, in 2023 like he's getting up there you know he has to move off of uh third base you know played a little shortstop too before that but had to move off of third base because jose ramirez is there needs to learn the outfield a little bit um in in a, in a system that you know had a ton of outfielders kind of as uh, soon as he made that position change uh, with bobby bradley uh uh Bradley Zimmer, uh, I think is, is the name that I was looking for there. Um, but, but a ton of those guys and, you know, he needed to change a senior, I think uh, in a lot of ways, whether he knew it or not. And, uh, Herman Marquez, did he need to change a scenery? Don't know exactly, but he got one and immediately goes out and, uh, you get a guy who hadn't pitched above a ball who's making his debut that season for you in, in 2016. So, uh, there is definitely a risk reward. I think the Rockies need to not be afraid as, as you're kind of saying there, they, they can't be afraid to, to give up their own guys. You know, I, I talked with someone recently that within the organization, pretty high ranking official within the Rockies front office saying, yeah, we, we love our guys too much. Like it's, it's, it's acknowledged. Like they, they know it. And it's, it's not a recent thing. It's, it's happened for a while. And so they have to kind of move on for that and be okay with that. One of the players I, I want to talk about that went in and pretty much did what he did last year. In, in a really great way is Elihiris Montero. And Elihiris Montero is, is basically a player that you might have to worry about uh, him going to another team and hitting 30 home runs. I want to, want to talk about that. Uh, but here we got Burge with a super chat. We super appreciate that. Is Bill Schmidt holding any postseason media availability this year? As of right now, no, that that's not going to happen. Uh, I don't believe. Again, as I was under the weather, I was not. You know, but I do have my my spies. Uh, I do have uh, some ops there uh, that, that keep an eye out on things. Uh, don't think he, he spoke to the media. He's always around. He's always available to media to talk to. Uh, he might not give you the most you know, long winded and detailed answers, uh, but he is always available there and, um, and and is not shy with with giving up his time to talk. But no, no true media availability. We actually haven't gotten that since, you know, 2019 when, you know, Rockies were coming off of consecutive postseason appearances and things really went sideways in 2019. And you had Jeff Breidich up there with Bud Black, Dick Monfort. Now Breidich, of course, is uh, is no longer there, but. I'm hopeful that maybe next year we could possibly see something like that. I, I think the win-loss record might dictate that just a little bit. We get another 100-loss season. We might not get it. But if it's less than that, I'm I'm hopeful. You know, Rockies are, are bringing back the Fan Fest in January of next year. So I'm hoping that this might be the start of them 
kind of reinvesting in fans in, in a lot of different ways and saying reinvesting in, into the product and saying, hey, we we want to be better on the field. Uh, and so I, I think this is a good way of kind of almost holding themselves accountable, just a sense. Yeah, I think that the the annual state of the franchise, uh, nobody should be holding their breath for that to be coming back. You know, that was their idea in 2019, and then they shied away from it after they realized the the fallout of the PR side. Uh, it, it's you're right in what you said in, in Schmidt making himself available and always trying to give, you know, kind of candid responses and answers for it. I think there's just nothing that's going to be planned for the organization until specific events occur. Um, so like the Blackman uh, extension, I know there was a little bit of availability for that, but otherwise that's kind of the the status quo, I think, is they're just going to um, be around for when they want to discuss something uh, specific that happens on transactions or moves during the off season. And otherwise it's going to be holding, you know, course until we get closer to the season. All right. So there's a log jam over at first base, Chris Bryant, that's going to be his spot. Um, you know, maybe with a good off season, he, he can play a little bit of, of right field, which I think would you know, obviously provide some value. But you've got Hunter Goodman, who can play first base and, and right field. You've got Michael Tolia, who, you know, we didn't see him around uh, really in, in, in these final few weeks with the team. I think that's an indicator of, of where he stands on the 40-man roster. But he's a guy who can play first base, mm-hmm. uh, first base in some right field. Uh, Charlie, DH, right field. Uh, and then, of course, Elihiris Montero can, can play some first base. So there's a logjam. Yeah, Sean Bouchard is in there too. You got Sean Bouchard, uh, of course, can can play the corner outfields, and uh, you know I, I could see him. He came up as a second baseman, believe it or not, a yeah. second base, third baseman type. So I, I think he's got that glove in his bag, literally and figuratively. But one of those guys gets traded. Montero probably has the most value. Are you going to be okay with him going off onto another team and and probably hitting? 30 home runs with that, with that organization. I mean, I'm okay with rooting for guys to succeed in other teams. Um, that's not a bad thing. You know, when DJ leaves and he goes out and has a great, uh, season with, uh, with New York, I'm not mad that DJ is having a great season, you know? So, um, I think it's just, it's been one of those writing on the wall situations for Montero all year long. And having Chris Bryant presumably being the fir- full-time first baseman next season really just exacerbates the whole thing. There, there's always been kind of a squeeze out that feels like is occurring with Montero, um, based on the number of plate appearances he gets, based on the fact that every single time he has been in Albuquerque, he's proven that he is beyond Albuquerque and the PCL and AAA in general. So, um, if they're not going to make the room to put Montero in the lineup they have to clear Montero from the roster and bring in somebody else that 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 can be you know somebody that is going to contribute and have the position versatility to fill another need on the roster because right now all it is is Montero is depth you know there's there's fodder behind it with with what their plans are and they already have three or four other guys in that conversation with them too so um, I'm not huge on the idea of Tolia coming back you know I think as you mentioned he still has some option years left they I think they've been just higher on him because he was their own internal draft pick they like his defense quite a bit and you know it's it's somebody that they invested a first round pick and first round money on so maybe he gets one more year but Tolia is starting to kind of feel Ryan Valade territory these days um and so that's that's worrisome but when it comes to montero i mean is he going to get the chance over bouchard 
more often than not, is Goodman going to come up and supplant him, you know, supplant him? Um, there's just too many questions about Montero with too much of a ticking clock. He's provided some value with the pop that he showed this year. Feels like a good time to kind of pull a trigger on a trade. Yeah, they, they almost have to at this point and, and just can't be reluctant. I mean, they'd, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot in a, in a sense because, again, you, you just have not enough spots for these guys. And that's kind of that's, – that's what I want to get into to next. Uh, of course, after I, I tell you about Shady Rays, buy one, get one free. Great offer, ShadyRays.com, independent sunglass company uh, that's been doing it. Quarter of a million five-star reviews online they got the lost and broken replacement policy so if you lose or break your shades boom they're going to hook you up with a brand new set right there it's fantastic and it's really cool because uh they've got the shady rays impact which is a uh a thing that they do with nonprofit partners they build play sets uh for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with ms the outdoor adventure of a lifetime shady rays they make an impact in your community for others uh so go ahead and give them some support it helps us out shadyrays.com they're also at the park meadows mall two or more pairs for 50 percent off each of those bad boys you know the the prospects coming up that's kind of the the next thing and there's some names and and there's plenty of buzz uh none of them have really advanced past double a sure we got to see some of them for a week in in triple a but for the most part we're talking about double a players who will just start to see next year uh and maybe within the next year it really will sort itself out but there's really nowhere for these guys to play at least at the start of next year, Diaz is going to be behind the plate. You got Brian and Montero, let's say at first. Rogers is at second. McMahon at third. Tovar at short. Nolan Jones in left. Brenton Doyle in center in right field. You can platoon Bouchard and Blackman, the righty lefty combo. And then at DH is going to be Blackman and Bryant for some days off. Throw Hunter Goodman in the mix at that. It's pretty much filled up, um, which may or may not be a bad thing. Uh, what, what becomes kind of the, the modus operandi for the Rockies if they are going to avoid 100 losses. And on the more positive side of the spectrum, if they are going to bridge the gap to becoming a contender as soon as 2025, you need all of these guys to come back and provide the best of their talents. Nolan Jones needs to hit, you know, needs to have a 900 OPS. Again, very capable. Tovar needs to take another step forward, maybe see uh, a little bit more home run streak out of him uh, than just the, the doubles tying Todd Helton uh, with the franchise rookie record for doubles. You need Brendan Rodgers to be the guy that he was for four months of the 2022 season after he got that uh, ugly April out of the way. You, you need Chris Bryant to be healthy. You need a lot of things to really go right to start to feel better about 2025. And a lot of that doesn't actually even include the prospects. Um, yes, but I think how many times can you keep expecting the most out of maybe like a Ryan McMahon or a Brendan Rogers to kind of you know, start hitting their ceilings, um, with it never quite coming to fruition, you know, when does the ceiling start lowering, um, in, in your opinion is the question I would ask with the Rockies. And then if you look at the other side of the spectrum, and this is where, you know, the you can call it wishful thinking, but this is where the Orioles comparison comes into play is okay. If you do have your Gunnar Henderson and your Jordan Westberg and your Austin Hayes and your Adley Rushman all show up at the same time, boom, you know, that's, that's the complete turnaround. And so, that's also kind of what the organization is not shy about selling when they talk about the promise of the future of the York. And so we've heard about Tovar and Veen for so long and Romo. And now you have Jordan Beck, you have Yonkiel Fernandez. There's a lot of good names. There's a lot of good ball players that are on the horizon, but 
not everybody gets to explode all at once. And um, that's kind of what the Orioles have done while also being a little bit more well-rounded um, in the roster around them. So um, I think that this is a, this is a off season where a lot of hard decisions should start getting made. Um, whether or not they do it again, you know, if you follow the Rockies long enough, you're not overly optimistic on that proposition, but you know, if you're going to have these guys and you're going to sell the fan base on these guys being the next competitive team, you got to make sure they're able to play when they get here. Otherwise that was the whole Elleris Montero, uh, conversation all over again. So, um, to start clearing some room because it feels like a Jordan Beck is going to be up next year. It feels like a Drew Romo is going to be up next year. Maybe Thompson clears his way or Fernandez or Veen gets back on track. You see the path for three or four of these guys in their natural development reaching the majors next year. Are they going to have a place to play when that time comes? That's that's something that management has to address. Yeah, that's you're right. I mean, I mean, that's that's exactly it right there. That's that's the whole crux of it is, as you said, those those guys for the Orioles, they came together at the same time. That's, that's the window of contention. That's, that's the whole uh, concept of tanking is it's not even just losing to get better draft picks, but it's to really get your timeline so that, okay, here's what we're targeting. So we're going to put all of our resources going towards that rather than, well, we got this guy on, on a so many year deal. And so we just want to keep this player around and maybe the ceiling isn't terribly high. Y- you have to really time it all up. You can't have all these various moving pieces that I think the Rockies do have right now. And as you said, they got some tough decisions to make so that, you know, next year can be that, that time in which those young players come up, but there are so many young guys on the team right now. That's like blocking their path. It was easy to see that kind of transition. I think this year with the veterans that ended up getting shipped off, but how it happens next year, it's, it's harder to, to, to fathom, um, on, on, We'll have to wait to see what happens this offseason because maybe the Rockies are able to do that, trade some of these bats. Maybe they do revisit some kind of Brendan Rodgers trade. Um, like you said, Ryan McMahon, great leader, great guy to have in the clubhouse. Is is that somebody that you you talk around with other teams? He's not cheap. Uh, there, that's another element to this, uh, of course. You know, I do want to mention some of the other positives, of course, as we said, with Brendan Rodgers. Missed four months of the season, came back in a, in a really mm-hmm. big way. It was, that was awesome. Uh, to see him playing as much as he was able to do. Tyler Kinley comes back, you know, ERA, you know, doesn't look great. Um, but I think he did look great. Is he a closer for 2024? Bouchard's going to continue. Uh, supposedly we'll see if uh, these things do fall through with winter leagues, uh, but he might uh, extend his season in the winter leagues actually with Vinny Castillas, Hermosillo, Naranjeros, you know, the oranges. Nice. Lucas Gilbreth, uh, he's going to be throwing. Uh, I think he's already throwing now, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So he should be ready for the start of spring training. And and Chris Bryant, you know, he, he could be another one of those players that joins this group who is able to get back late in the season, contribute, and kind of restart things in a, in a normal way to give them a normal offseason. So those are definitely positives that you're going to have helping you out in 2024 that you didn't have for much of 2023. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was, there's a lot of bad luck in this season. Like it, you don't fool yourself into, or you shouldn't fool yourself into saying, oh, well, this was an 85 win team. If A, B, C, D, and E didn't happen, it was still not a very competitive roster, but there was a lot of bad luck compounded into the entire thing. And it started with Brendan Rogers right away. You know, he always felt ahead of schedule. And he proved that that was the case. And he came back and he looked legit. He took, you know, it was some rust 
um, at the plate, especially, but defensively, he was strong. He was back into it. Uh, you know, on, over the final two weeks of the season, he started catching fire too with the bat a little bit. He put up a 348, 392, 580 line over those final two weeks, a 148 WRC plus. There's always been a good hitter. There's always been a great ball player. We were just deprived of it once again, uh, you know, in the 2023 season. So him coming back strong is a very encouraging sign. Him coming back at all, much less, you know, starting to show much more signs of life. Uh, Bryant is a whole other conversation. You know, at at this point, he's barely put together one full season over the course of two years, and it hasn't been overly productive. Uh, But he's getting paid to be a producer in that lineup. So, you know, hell or high water, that's going to be tried. Uh, and Kinley, I think, was another one that's in the Rogers boat of it being encouraging. And the bullpen as a whole was just overly taxed for the oh, season. Yes. Um, so you take all of the results with a grain of salt, but you don't feel too bad heading into next season, at least with Kinley and Lawrence and Bard kind of being those back end options. Maybe Suter gets brought back. Gilbert is going to be on his way back, and he was a very effective left handed reliever. So. You don't feel too bad about the bullpen, especially with some of the young guys like Hollowell coming into the conversation and being effective during the course of the year, too. Uh, but a lot of these conversations have danced around the rotation, and that's still just a big glaring concern. And when we talk about the promise of the prospect side of it coming up, all of it is position player heavy. There is just no immediate reinforcements right now for this rotation. Maybe Jaden Hill shows off in the Arizona Fall League and we start feeling better. But Jaden Hill also pitched only 40 innings this year, was on just the biggest training wheels the organization could build, and 0-9 with like a nine and a half year. It was not a great year for Jaden Hill. And everything else is also kind of going through Tommy John surgery or just too far away. And, you know, it's the pitching is still in need of significant reinforcements. So you can talk yourself into why things are on the rise. There are still glaring holes that still need to be addressed, though, too. Yeah, I wrote about that. It's unlocked. It's free over at the DNVR.com. Kind of about how did the Rockies get in this position, and, and it really started back in, in 2018 uh, is, is when it kind of started to, to fall apart, believe it or not. And, and one of those things uh, that, that made 2023 so difficult was that, that starting rotation. They've been the backbone for, for this organization in the Bud Black era for, for so long. And because they went down, it actually ended up you know, having negative implications for that, that bullpen. So while you, know, you might look at some numbers and you might remember some, some rough games and some blown saves, uh, I, I think you can still say, like, well, Justin Lawrence, though, there's that that potential is there. We we've seen it for you know longer stretches of the time of time. Daniel Bard, uh, one of the best relief seasons we've we've seen by uh by by a reliever in, in Rockies history. Uh, just a just a year ago, Tyler Kinley is right there. I think Jake Bird uh, has shown uh you know tons of of promise and reliability. Lucas Gilbreth was that uh in, in in his first two years with the Rockies. So like there are definitely guys there that in the bullpen you're going to say, all right, I, th- I think this is going to be all right. It's, it's just the, the starting rotation that they've got to figure out, and that's a huge one. Huge question here from our Super Chat from Edward Pozo. What's going on, Edward? Appreciate you reaching out. Uh, are there going to be any, other than the players, because we know the players can change all the time, some of the bigger changes can be from the manager or the GM spot. Are we going to see a move from either one of those? GM spot, we know you get a long time. You get a you get a big leash, and so this is really only technically Schmidt's second season. Um, Thrown his interim year, that's that's closer to three. 
but Bud Black is an interesting one. And there's been a lot of comments that I've seen from, from fans and, um, from, from some industry insiders and people from Purple Row even kind of making comments about, you know, Bud Black, who right off the bat, it should be said, it did his best possible job with a team that this is a 103 loss roster. Mm-hmm. There, there's no two ways about it. That's just what uh, it, it was uh, partially because of, of, of the health. But what are your thoughts on uh, whether or not the Rockies might need to, to move on from, from Bud Black, bring in some new blood? You know, I think with the first, I I want everybody to understand the contract structure that Black has, which is kind of a perpetual year to year um, setup. So there's no hard deadline like there are with some other managers where, oh, his contract is up after 2024. Will he or won't he be back? There's kind of there's just an open door policy uh, with with Black and management. And then I think that an overall idea is he is. Uh, he's the guy to see this through, through the, the toughest years. Um, and then if winning doesn't occur when the expectations are to win more and the roster is there to win more then a change ends up happening. And I think this is maybe where we look at like a Jim Tracy situation, let's say, or, uh, you know, Clint Hurdle, obviously the long standard. There's a lot of similarities, I think maybe between, um, Hurdle's position and, and where black is right now. Fair or unfair, you know, there there are some things that the manager always gets questioned on. And I think that there's, you know, some fair criticisms with Black's management's, you know, decisions over the course of a year, maybe. But it's like you mentioned, it's it's working with what tools you have. And there have been very limited tools uh, this season, the past couple of seasons with Black. Um, you know, for anybody that's not fully aware, uh, Warren Schaefer is a name that is very, that you should become very familiar with because it does feel like somebody that the organization has plans for in the future. When that future is though, I don't feel like it's going to be 2024, let's say, but it is somebody that I think Rockies fans should become familiar with, uh, because it is somebody who might be that natural next in line. Yeah. It's, you know, I think the, I think the clubhouse, anytime that you're you know, losing as many games as 103 in a season, there's going to be some stagnancy. And so you got to, you got to keep it fresh. You got to, you got to turn it over. Um, But I think that's, that, that's probably, you know, something that, you know, a lot of folks maybe, maybe haven't considered is the fact that you could change managers, but, you know, 90 losses are definitely, I think, could be in the future. Uh, 90 losses could be in the future for next season. 100 again, if, if, if things go poorly, whatever it may be, um, you might not want to stick that on your next guy, right? And you also, uh, if you're still going to try to uh, trade away certain pieces at the deadline next year, whatever those pieces are, uh, you know, like Austin Gomber's a guy that has only two more years le- left of, of club control. So uh, that might be a guy that, that, that you part ways with. If you're looking at expiring contracts, at least, you know, new managers like, Whoa, hold on. Like I, I, this is my first job, right? If it's Warren Schaefer or someone else. So when the time comes, I think, I think the clubhouse will, will need that changeover, uh, you know, to, to give that new group uh, a new voice and a new leadership. Um, but is that new leadership uh, from, from the player side, is that coming anytime soon? Uh, our guy Nate here asks in the, in the chat, uh, who will be the guy that breaks out next year that we could possibly be talking about Nolan Jones. And I, I don't know that I have one just yet because I think they're all almost like tied. Uh, the, the name that jumps out of the three guys that were at Hartford this year, Jordan Beck probably would be mm-hmm. number one for me. Yeah. I, I think Beck feels the closest 
Sterling Thompson. Um, you know, it, I, I think it was a wrist injury that he uh, suffered uh, close to the All-Star break of the season. He missed a pretty significant amount of time um, there, but that slowed his his trajectory a little bit. He was almost right there with Beck the entire way through. So I'd say Beck and Thompson are the fastest risers um, where they could come up. And I think Beck also, or excuse me, Thompson might have the option to float around between third base and the outfield the same way Jones was being viewed as. So maybe a little bit more opportunity to get him in there. Um, not to say that Beck couldn't go to any one of the three outfield positions. So, um, so those two stand out the most. Uh, you know, maybe a dark horse is like if Aaron Chunk, let's say McMahon is out and Chunk gets his chance to, to crack the roster at the start of the season. It's been a, a slow but nice rebound for Chunk over the past couple of years, and he had a pretty decent year at AAA this year. So uh, that's a, a small dark horse. But, yeah, you know, m- m- the last one to throw in there is Fernandez, you know, maybe Yonkiel. Uh, But, yeah, Beck and Thompson feel like the best bats, I would say. I, I kind of want to change my answer to Sterling Thompson. Here's why: because it's about the path. It's 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 having a path to to get to uh, regular playing time with the Rockies. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the reasons why I thought, you know what, Hunter Goodman's going to force his way on onto this team. I think I might have said that early on in the year. I, I vaguely recall in spring Patrick. training before spring yeah. training. I think I, I might have said that, yeah. but I it just thought like you know what they can't refuse they can't resist him and so mm-hmm. even though they drafted him as a catcher, they found a way to get him on the field first base right field and so with Sterling Thompson he's got first base and right field in his bag and third base and second base and left field so I think that increases the likelihood it it almost allows you a little bit more freedom whereas you know you had middle infielders like uh, Harold Castro and Alan Trejo this year. All right, now you only need one of those guys because Sterling Thompson's getting regular playing time. It could really allow you to, um, you know, properly rotate and, and properly have platoons on this roster because if, if guys can play all over the place, uh, it allows you to mix and match really well. And instead of playing, you know, six days of the week, you're playing four to five days out of the week because you're jumping around from different spots. And all right, Brenton Doyle, he's locked in there at center field, except the day he get, he gets off, Jones can play over in center, and then Thompson can be in left, or Bouchard's in left, Goodman's in right. Whatever it is, you have mm-hmm. to be able to play multiple positions. And these young guys are are, are the one. Steven in the chat saying, I'm hopeful for the future core. Next year might be tough, but it's it's necessary. And uh, and this offseason will be necessary to kind of figure out what, what the Rockies are going to do. And, and Kenneth, I know you're going to be back talking plenty more we didn't really get to a ton of the negatives which is okay yeah we which have is a okay. whole offseason we have 103 negatives to talk about this offseason so <laughs> uh but hey a, a good small one actually when you talk about the breakout if hunter good hunter goodman gets enough playing time next year maybe we didn't really see the best of hunter goodman this year but the dude can hit so that's a that's a one to keep an eye on too i'll say that yeah no it, it's gonna be an exciting offseason as it is always because we're talking baseball which we love Rockies are there too. We love them. So uh, we want to see them, them uh, do well, make the right move. So we'll be uh, giving our feedback on that all over the place. Kenneth, go ahead and plug away where folks can uh, check all your good stuff at. Yep. Over at Twitter X, whatever you want to call it at KW 1988. And then you can find me over at purple row every Monday, uh, doing my rock piles and uh, doing the pebble report. Tons of unlocked articles over at the DNVR.com uh, at DNVR underscore Rockies on Twitter at Patrick D Lyons is where I can be found. Kenneth, appreciate you giving us the momentum. But as we say here uh, in the baseball podcast world, your momentum is only as good as your next show. So it's going to be a great one tomorrow at noon right here on the DNVR sports channel live on YouTube.